This is the McKinsey Podcast, where we help you make sense out of our world's toughest business challenges. Welcome to the show. I'm Lucia Rahili. And I'm Roberta Fasaro. This is a critical point we have found out, not surprisingly, that one of the biggest determinants of employees' happiness, engagement, excitement to stay in an organization depends on their direct manager, who's a leader. That's McKinsey senior partner Donna Mayor reminding us that how someone leads can make or break employees' satisfaction at work. She joins me and senior partner Patrick Simon to discuss McKinsey's State of Organizations report. It identifies 10 shifts that managers need to understand in order to attract and keep talent, work productively, and achieve growth. After, it can be scary to share a dissenting opinion, but Katie George, McKinsey's chief people officer, took that risk and reaped the rewards from our Rookie Moment series. Donna, Patrick, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you for having us. It's wonderful to be here. Thanks for having us, Roberto. It's no secret that the past few years have been incredibly tumultuous for everyone, but particularly for business leaders. McKinsey's recently released report on state of organizations sort of cuts through that tumult to talk about trends that are affecting companies today. I'm curious, Patrick, can you tell us a little bit about the whys and hows of the research? Why did we conduct this research and how did we go about it? Over the past years, we've seen a truly foundational tectonic shift of questions CEOs would ask us with respect to their organizational model. And there's many reasons for that. Over the past years, we've seen significant change in the external world. Obviously, we've all gone through the COVID phase. Um, there's a new dynamic in Europe with a war. Um, inflation has been up. There's been a disruption to supply chains. But there's also a new set of capabilities on the horizon that organizations need to be able to provide to be successful around sustainability, advanced analytics, AI, and many other aspects. Um, what are the biggest shifts that the C-suite needs to be aware of in order to successfully transform organizations? A number of clients asked us to provide that view. So we went off and did some research starting last year, asking 2,500 business leaders what they see are the biggest organizational shifts everyone should be aware of. Um, and we came up with 10 shifts that explain most of that equation. By the way, um, only about half the organizations that we talked about feel ready and feel prepared for the coming years when it comes to organizational transformation. And the other half is still looking for an answer on how to best go about it. Um, we believe the 10 shifts will act as a compass and hopefully provide enough direction for that journey to come. Donna, Patrick mentioned that the team surveyed more than 2,500 leaders from organizations around the world. Talk to us a little bit about some of the organizations that stood out. So as you can imagine, we were looking to identify those that, quote unquote, got it right. We actually looked not only at their financial performance, we also looked at how they perform from a cultural perspective, what the brand perception uh, looks like, and what is the buzz around them from a talent perspective. We really, really enjoyed identifying what we call beacon organizations across geographies, across industries. And what's even more fascinating is that those who cracked the code started with Mars with 140,000 employees, all the way down to SciQuantum, which is a computing-related uh, company with 200 employees. When you do this right, 
you can do this regardless of the size of the company, whether it is traditional industries or new industries or the geographies that you're in. So Mars, SciQuantum, Lego, Decathlon were some of the companies that got the answer right. So I'd like to dive into the shifts around increasing speed and strengthening resilience. Donna, talk a little bit more about how companies can become more prepared to react to future shocks and disruptions. What are the capabilities and mindsets that they need? Yes. And so if there's one thing that the last few years have taught us is that those companies that are resilient need to be able to respond to shocks very, very quickly. Those that navigate well are actually very successful in making sure that they have a way to navigate not only structures, but operating model at large, which includes structure, processes, and people. And as a result of that, they don't only bounce out of the crisis, but they actually bounce forward. They land on their feet relatively unscathed. They race ahead with new energy. They manage to come out as winners when it comes to attracting the best talent. And the word that is describing what it is is agility. It's an important component where, unfortunately, only 14% of leaders surveyed reported that their organization have truly adopted those agile operating models across the board. Organizations with little or no experience with agility or adaptability can end up in a double bind. They're unmotivated to prepare for crisis during periods of calm, and they're unable to change course and respond quickly when disruptions occur. The question that organizations need to ask themselves is what accounts for their lack of preparedness? When we asked those 2,500 leaders, we came away with some of these answers. The number one issue of course, is funds to develop uh, surplus capacity and contingency solutions. One third of respondents cited unclear priorities for targeting resilience. And another third said that initiatives are being launched in organizational silos, limiting their effectiveness. The last one, another third, cited limited willingness and the lack of excitement uh, as impediments. So to solve this, you need to think systematically about ways to build their resilience. They will need to take care of... Um, those elements that we've mentioned, review them on an ongoing basis rather than doing it only on a one-off basis, and think about how they organize for speed, empower their people, and develop a culture of continuous learning. And I know the growing deployment of new technologies in the workplace, the skills that are needed to drive growth and value over the next date are changing, and companies are looking to fill capability gaps. Patrick, can you talk a little bit about how leaders can bridge this chasm and achieve competitive advantage? Almost every strategy that is being launched these days has elements of digital, of direct-to-consumer, of advanced analytics, or lately also artificial intelligence. However, these capabilities are not abundant, neither in the organizations as they are right now, nor often in the external market. So building these capabilities as institutional differentiators uh, will matter more and more. There's a few things to go about this. First of all, um, it is about training your internal staff and fostering a culture of learning, experimentation, and evolution. Um, we see that uh, organizations that do that well make this a CHRO or CEO priority to make sure people get the time to explore, learn, and test and build their own capabilities, often accompanied through training programs and, and making sure true experts uh, are at their fingertips in order to help with that process. The second element is scouting for talent outside of the organization and creating a value proposition that matters to that talent. Now, especially when it comes to younger capabilities around digital sustainability, AI, and so on, talent is really, really drawn towards purpose-driven companies. 
So we see that companies that are high on purpose, that can formulate a task that really makes sense also to the greater societal good, really outperform. And then lastly, in order to build capabilities and fill gaps, it's all around role modeling, right? So it needs to become a key narrative of the C-suite to talk about talent, place talent in the center, make sure that you know talent is appreciated with respect to career development and opportunities in the organization. Donna, organizations can only be as resilient as their leaders to some degree. In today's turbulent environment, a lot of leaders may be tempted to stick with what's worked in the past, regardless of whether those approaches are still fit for purpose, rather than rethinking how they're leading or changing the way they lead. Can you talk a little bit, Donna, about what we found in the report around this leadership topic and how leaders can be more successful in the future? Absolutely. You know, this is a critical point. We have found out, not surprisingly, that one of the biggest determinants of employees' happiness, engagement, excitement to stay in an organization depends on their direct manager, who's a leader. And so there's no question that leaders and how they are in the organizations make tremendous difference. And unfortunately, the big statistics from our current survey regarding organizational leadership is that only 25% of respondents say they consider their leadership culture to be one that inspires employees to be the best that they can be, which is worrying. We also know from talking to leaders that many are actually exhausted themselves. And so how do you find that leadership energy and capacity to be resilient. It's not a new model, but when we think of leaders, we need to think about essentially three layers. What is a leader's ability to lead themselves? Are they aware of their own limitations, of what gives them energy, of how they thrive? How they lead others, peers in the C-suite, others on their team? And as a result of that, how do they exhibit the leadership skills and mindsets required to lead at scale? And so the three biggest obstacles that prevent organizations from switching up their leadership styles are lack of incentives, short-term thinking, and the lack of training. Many organizations are taking measures to break through that, right? Almost 40% of respondents say their organizations have made development a core part of leaders' daily work. They actually take measures of how much time is spent in developing others. And almost 30% say that they're making leadership training more accessible to more employees. So what's the right formula? We have to think about how we help leaders lead themselves, lead their teams, as this is a critical factor in determining their engagement, success, and happiness, and leading at scale with redesigning how value is created, right? Moving beyond being a manager who ensures that profits are predictably delivered to shareholders who actually have a vision and can engage people to deliver that impact. Patrick, artificial intelligence is one of the hottest topics right now. How are companies thinking about applied AI, one of our other trends in the report? So we're, we're seeing questions come up and, and solutions evolve across the entire value chain. Um, so there's now solutions being put in place, starting with procurement and selecting the right procurement provider, all the way to simulating innovation and, and having AI make suggestions on what innovation to actually take to market all the way to analyzing sales data and creating a different connection with the customer. So the business itself is transforming and you also need to get the organization AI ready. There's different aspects around this. One again is around talent. You need to make sure you have uh, talent in your organization that can help translate AI innovations into conclusions that matter to your business. 
The second thing really is structural and process point of view that utilizes AI. Uh, just imagine for a second you could deploy ChatGPT to a lot of the kind of basic organizational questions every organization is dealing with, such as who is working on what, who is talking to whom on topic X, uh, who's owning decision Y, right? So questions around organizational clarity or imagine you deploy it to meeting effectiveness. Right now, we see that 60% of managers spend time in meetings that they don't find useful. Right. Uh, just imagine you would get an automated, very high-quality summary from each of these meetings. And you could save a lot of time. So questions around organizational efficiency, effectiveness. And then lastly, it's still unclear what processes and tasks will be replaced by AI versus which tasks will actually get enhanced. So having this culture of experimentation uh, really matters. So it's these three aspects that we see companies that are ahead of the curve do well. They're not afraid, but they're also not jumping to conclusions. They're taking a careful look, and they're carefully balancing the risks and the, the rewards from AI. One key trend that I think a lot of leaders are dealing with right now is the balance of in-person and remote work in the workplace. Patrick, what does having a true hybrid setup mean for organizations that want to attract and retain talent? So by true hybrid, we mean combining the benefits of in-person on-site work uh, with remote work. So we see that about 80% of people who have had exposure to remote work before don't want to give that up anymore. So they're looking for a hybrid model with a mix of on-site and, and remote work models. Uh, obviously, we, we should not forget that there's a good chunk of the employ, employment force that needs to be on-site. So just thinking about all the folks in service and in, in production and so on. But for those where there's an option of remote, it is a significant attractor to talent. In order to get that right, typically you need good infrastructure. So you need to have systems in place that actually allow people to seamlessly work on-site and off-site. Secondly, you need to be able to switch from measuring work input, uh, aka presence on site, often measured by hours of work, more towards impact and output, which, by the way, forces a really good conversation because you're ultimately asking together with the employee, what is the output of the work that we want to see? Uh, and then lastly, it does require openness by the C-suite. We do see there's a lot of skepticism. Um, a lot of CEOs are calling their workforce back on site 100%. Uh, we recommend going for a hybrid model just because there's a whole generation that now has been educated and, and truly appreciates uh, hybrid work models. Donna, anything to add there? I think I completely agree with everything Patrick said. And the one thing that I would add is that when you think of hybrid as a CEO, we need to place just as much thought into what is it that we do when we are in person on site and what is it that makes it worthwhile for colleagues to come and be together on site? Patrick, is there an example of a company that's starting to get this right around the hybrid work? Yeah, absolutely. And there's a, a beacon we feature in the report, uh, GitLab, which is one of the biggest development security operations of code companies in the world. Um, they're actually fully remote. They do get together for cultural events and team building. But other than that, their work is remote, and it has really changed the talent equation for them because they're looking in every part of the world for talent. Uh, and they have a system, a culture, they have interfaces, they have processes that allow them to integrate that talent 
into their ecosystem. So it's an extreme example because it's 100% remote. But again, the idea of culture enforced by leaders, infrastructure really matters. And, and therefore, they're doing really well with this model. Donna, any of these organizational shifts that we've discussed, if you were trying to address it, any one of them on their own, it would be a complex undertaking in its own right. Thinking about all 10 together seems to amount to a supreme challenge. How can leaders take the state of organizations report? What can they do tomorrow to start to calibrate the ambition, capture new growth opportunities, and thrive in this unsettled world? It is uh, probably a four-part integrated approach. First and foremost, we like to talk about designing your organization to the value that you're aspiring to achieve. You should look at the organization and understand as a CEO, where is the value trapped in your organization and what are those elements that would allow you to unleash this value? But this is the first thing to understand. When you understand that, this could guide you through cultivating talent. Where are the capability gaps? What is the kind of talent that I need to recruit? What is the kind of talent that I need to grow? There is no question that you need to invest in leadership because as we've said, it is the leaders across the organizations that are multiplier effect that give us the energy and power through those very demanding times. And lastly, I would say any journey that you embark on, particularly now that change is a feature and not a bug, is change behavior at scale. What is it that you need to do to put together a change plan that allows you to sustainably uh, travel this journey? So I would say um, in synthesis, four things, set the direction and calibrate the ambition, cultivate talent, invest in leadership, and think about change leadership at scale. This has been terrific. It's a great conversation. Donna, Patrick, thanks so much for taking the time today. Pleasure. Thank you, Roberta. Thanks for having us. Next up, McKinsey Chief People Officer Katie George was rewarded for her honesty and great idea from our Rookie Moment series. I was the project manager on a year-long effort to redesign the way our client's supply chain worked. And the toughest part of the problem turned out not to be what the technical solution was, what the new analytics, the new process was, but rather how the organization was going to work. And we left that to the end. We said, we will design first the functionality that's required, then we'll talk about organization. And we actually debated as a team, all the partners involved and the rest of the team and me, and we couldn't really agree on the right way to proceed in terms of what our recommendations would be on the org model. And in fact, one of the partners met with the CEO and came back from that meeting all excited that they'd aligned on something they thought would work. Well, I was the one closest to the problem and I was the one who'd actually spent a full year working every single day with the people who'd have to execute in this new model. And when I heard about what they discussed, I realized that there were several fatal flaws. I was really nervous about telling my partner that because he had already aligned this with the CEO. But I did actually muster the courage to explain what I thought the problems were and what I thought a better model would be. And I was really amazed. Not only did he appreciate my input, he actually helped me structure a progress review to give to the CEO and his entire leadership team the next day. And he was very clever because we actually structured all of the issues and kind of the key questions to determine what the right organization design was as part of the presentation. So that as the CEO listened to this presentation, 
he could understand why we were now steering to a different outcome than he had heard from the partner earlier. It was really fun. I felt totally in control, though very nervous, about presenting to the CEO and his leadership team. It normally probably would have been a presentation that one of the partners would have made. But because it had been my idea and I was passionate about the new structure, I was the one who gave the presentation and led the discussion. It went really well. They implemented my idea, and I think it is their organization structure to this very day. Thanks so much for listening to the McKinsey Podcast. I'm Lucia Rahili. And I'm Roberta Fasaro. Find us on McKinsey.com. We'll have a transcript of this episode up shortly. And check out the McKinsey Insights app where you can find this podcast and other helpful content updated daily. And if you would, we'd love for you to leave a rating and a review. We'll see you in two weeks.